inviting you to join us. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Welcome. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, streaming live from 100 Bogart Street in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is the Physical Culture Music and Art Show. I am Vincent Metzo, your host, Dean of Discipline, Dean of Personal Training, and the man with the face for radio. (laughs) On today's show, we have guests Molly Morgan Weiss and Pooja Uberoy. Molly Morgan Weiss is an interdisciplinary artist, a curator and art educator based in New York City. She exhibits her artwork nationally and curates exhibitions locally and of local and international artists, as well as directed special projects and galleries throughout the New York and New England area. Molly is also known for her writing, winning poetry awards across Long Island. She was the Long Island Poet Laureate. And Molly is also a licensed massage therapist. So we're going to talk about how massage therapy, Swedish gymnastics, and art have intertwined and intermingled in Molly's life. How you doing this morning, Molly? Hey, good morning. Thanks, Vincent, for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. So, in general, Molly, even though I introduced you, what we explore in this show is how this connection between art, health, physical culture exists for different people. So, first off, you were an artist first. How did you get into art and how did you get into all these different types of art? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's always a good question. I mean, I have always, um, I went to art school. I came out of art school and we were all sitting around like, man, we just graduated art school. What do we do now? <laughs> And a group of us got together back home from Sag Harbor, Long Island, and we were like, you know what, let's uh, make some art shows for us. Let's uh, just put up whatever we got, whatever space mm-hmm. we could find, just just do it. And we did it, and it turned out to be a success. And then we did another one, and it turned out to be a success. And I still have a whole group of artists. I, I think some of them might be listening this morning, so thank you. Um, shout out to, shout all, your out to all my Long Island artists. I love you. And uh, we just kept doing it. And through that process, I found myself very engaged with the um, the 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 growth of the exhibitions, um, mm-hmm. participating mm-hmm. artists, collaborating artists, sort of making themes for different shows. Um, the group. The, the collaboration part of it. I just really found myself loving and enjoying that. I wound up being, you know, kind of good, or I like doing the press releases, doing all mm-hmm. the kind of technical stuff. People threw me up into that section of it, so I kept doing more, I kept doing more of it. Um, 
we're also, I think, of an age, here we are, Radio Free Brooklyn generation, the internet kind of grew, the art kind of changed Mm -hmm. from painting to more of a digital sort of work, a more experiential type of work. And I really became engaged in what the experience was happening with viewers, like how viewers were experienced when they were experiencing when they were walking into a room, a gallery, Mm -hmm. whatever the showcase, the museum. And uh, that became super interesting to me. And so I sort of dived more and more into it, even though I'm classically trained as a painter. I love doing my paintings. Um, Just the whole vibe of having performance, music, sort of different things happening around that people could, as they were navigating through the exhibition, take Mm -hmm. part of and take away from. So that made my work a little bit more diverse and uh, helped me do all the the little things. Um, Then becoming a gallery director, doing lots of gallery work was um, also another outlet for me to work with artists, do the whole experience, and um, teaching and doing teaching with the kids was also another experience and how I could use that platform, how to experience or how to show kids how to experience artwork in many different levels from graffiti art to, again, traditional painting. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, podcasts are a huge wealth of information. It's it's really great that there are all these podcasts. I actually saw a meme yesterday, you know, who doesn't have a podcast now? And clearly <laughs> there's a lot of information out there. But one of the things that I really like about Radio Free Brooklyn is that it's live. You know, there's an immediacy. And even though it is radio and it's over the internet, it is still an experience. It's not just something you tune into when you want to, but it's something that you experience live. And that what you're saying about galleries, you know, okay, you go, you have wine and cheese, you look at paintings, but to make that more of an experience sounds like a really great um, concept and something that we need so much today. Absolutely. And it's, I feel it's totally a sign of our times. I think this generation, the generations coming up, it's 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 more alive. It's more immediate now. I mean, it's part of what's changing in our in our mm-hmm. culture as a whole. If we can get people out of their apartments, uh, you know, <laughs> out live. to see to uh, exactly to support live performance culture uh, in Brooklyn, in New York, in Long Island, in yeah, general, yeah. but get people out of the house and not just experiencing things through the internet. Although obviously, it's a great way to get people who maybe can't come out or can't come out at that time to be engaged. So you you started talking about art school, but before art school, hmm. you know, Little Molly, how, how did you get involved in art? What brought you to Molly. art? Uh, little Molly was, I mean, I was always the art kid. <laughs> what else <laughs> I could say? I remember, uh, I don't know, if you had I did big painting projects in high school. We did uh, something called a senior project, Mm -hmm. and we all got to choose one thing we could just totally develop for, I don't know, several months. I forgot how many months it was. And of course, naturally, that was, I was in the art room, did my paintings, did like several large scale portrait paintings of all my friends. Um, I guess even before senior, it was something I. I think naturally people cater towards me. I think around 10, 11 years old, we were given our, I was given my first art history lesson 
And I was a terrible math student. I was a terrible science student. Mm -hmm. Like all my math teachers hated me. <laughs> and uh, like they outwardly, you know, actively maybe, maybe hated outwardly. you or <laughs> outwardly hated me. I don't know. My mom and dad could probably say more of that. Um, and I think once they finally put up, we were like looking at antiquity Greek art and I was actually remembering the dates and the like kind of movements and methods that mm -hmm. were happening. And they were like, oh. She's kind of she's kind of good at that. Mm -hmm. Put her put her more in that direction. Put her more in that direction. And luckily, I was just in a school where they were like fostering me and to mm -hmm. to my strengths. Um, so more so so more I got more and more of that kind of education, the paintings, and I just completely fell in love with art history. So I guess art history was sort of my I don't know if you'd call it like my gateway drug. Uh -huh. It was like I started mm -hmm. learning about the artists and the movements in the past, and I was like, I want to paint like them. I want to know what's, you know, I want to, I want to, each painting I do still to this day, I want to be a better painting the next time. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's kind of how Little Molly mm -hmm. started as an artist. And do you, you remember specifically it was Greek art where it was sort of the first time you, <laughs> yeah, you became Greek, conscious like, of that or yeah. sentient of that? Yeah, Egyptian and Greek and how uh -huh. the sort of the movements and how they shared from each mm -hmm. other, how the Greeks took from Egypt mm -hmm. and uh, then it turned it to the Romans and how that kind of progressed. It was interesting. I found it really fascinating. And then, I mean, the Baroque period, the Renaissance, mm -hmm. I mean, I was lucky to study in Italy for a little bit when I was later Molly, mm -hmm. you know, college Molly and... um Falling in love with Europe and European art was really fantastic and mm -hmm. um, still to this day. It's, it's interesting because American physical culture is based on the German and Swedish methods, which are based on ancient Greek physical culture. Ah, the whole yeah, idea of, of the physical culture movement was mensana and corpusano, which is a Greek ideal and motto that means a sound mind and a sound body. Oh, so it's interesting that in both of these ways, both the art and the physical culture has had such an influence on our society. Just on an emotional level, I want to let give an opportunity for you to read one of your spoken word pieces. But before we get into that, do you remember emotionally what it was that connected you to the art? Was it that it was something, oh, I can remember those dates, but... To remember the dates, there must have been something that that pulled you into it, that interested you in it. I in see. It. Yeah. I aside from the talent from some of these artists alone, just the like the magnitude of the pieces they were making uh -huh. were just they were so powerful. Uh, how they were able to change societies, the French Revolution, things that came out that really spoke came from people and sort of changed our times how mm -hmm. art reflects culture culture reflects art the mm -hmm. two go hand in hand so beyond just knowing dates and all that mm -hmm. it's um the, the the power of the power of the the work itself how it could change a whole society if mm -hmm. if one or if a few artists are strong enough um that was always very fascinating to me mm-hmm do you find that your work, is, when you talk about changing society and things like that, 
I, you know, I immediately think politics. So do you find that your work is political? Do you try and, you know, do agitation propaganda or agitprop? Right. Do you try and say something or do you or does that happen more naturally? Good question. I mean, I uh, my work has gotten a little political um, coming on the, the, the female feminist, quote unquote, side of things. Being a female, I have found uh, some of my work, you know, art reflects life, life reflects art. Some of my work has naturally come out of that. Um, repeat that first half of the question. Do you find that your art has more organically become political or do you consciously try and make it political? Yeah, uh, organically, I would mm -hmm. say. Uh, conscious, if I'm too conscious of it, I think it will be too contrived. Mm -hmm. uh, though sometimes I know in the past I've been a little bit fearful of being too political because someone's always got something to say when mm -hmm. it comes with politics. And honestly, there's been times in my life where I felt like I wanted to be an ostrich and just like stick my head in the sand and just like try to shut everybody out that has their political opinions around. But the older I get, the more important I'm realizing it is how it, how important it is to have a voice politically mm -hmm. socially mm -hmm. um stand you know stand for something so and especially in the times that we are in now and it's um a great time to have our voice and where we have such great means and methods even though sometimes mm -hmm. to get things yeah, out there like Radio Free Brooklyn. Exactly. And you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn live streaming at www.radiofreebrooklyn.com <laughs> And Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 organization, a nonprofit organization. They do a lot of work with the community, not the least of which is the new Teen Squad. Teens can come to Radio Free Brooklyn to participate in this program where they learn audio production, live broadcasting, reporting and news gathering, interviewing techniques, journalistic best practices, and media ethics and responsibilities. So you, if you have a teenager or are a teenager, can participate in this program if you would like to make a donation to Radio Free Brooklyn to support this or other programs and just the existence of Radio Free Brooklyn, please do so at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. So, Molly, I would love to have you read a uh, piece that you've written. Yeah, thank okay. you. Thank you. Um, a little bit about this piece that I have prepared. I wrote it right before, I mean, we were talking about the transition from art world to massage world. Mm -hmm. I wrote this right before I went to Swedish Institute in this real time of, I knew I needed something to change. I had done several things and um i was kind of like looking up into the stars to to ask like what's going on and why do i like what do i do what what mm -hmm. can i do and i need to change something in my own like fabric of what i was doing um and this is maybe a little political it's called okay. broken new york city and here we go. And here we go. Molly Morgan Weiss, Broken <laughs> New York City. You know, we've all been there. <laughs> broken New York City, like a salmon upstream, an artist ball and chain, nothing was more obscene than in when in Harlem hairdos, Williamsburg did choose gentrification for you. On Broadway, princesses stage, 
ignoring the realities in vain. From food stamps to Hunts Point tramps, money only goes to the sexiest vamps. When you're broke in New York City, among bosses that don't care, people that don't care, and slip through our hands like water, starting new again to more bosses who don't care. Overcrowded subway cars, rush hour, conductor cries, help someone with a gun is on the platform, bang, bang. Doors close, one man dies. On board, the girl from the suburbs will never forget. The old New Yorkers will never forget. The walls of teddy bears noting, help find my father, firefighter, troop number 54321, bam. We lose again. To tourists who don't care, pretty women who don't care, only judgment stares at our freedom everywhere. Broken New York City is the paycheck that definitely does not cover rent. Is the poetry never to get published and paintings never sold, but smile as though it is a choice. And that paycheck that don't amount to how much running around, walking all the way from Midtown to Harlem with holes in the sole of your shoes, that is. And those shoes are proof it's not a race thing. No, it's not a race thing, because being broke in New York City is a place to relate and lick the concrete on the sidewalk towards that boss that don't care, the bills that don't care, the landlord that don't care, the salesman that don't care, how one person would actually want to fight for their career. Broken New York City is the taste of the wind over the Queensboro Bridge, the city lights passing by a magnificent skyline filled with Chinatown bargains, 8th Avenue peep shows, 24-hour laundromats, dive bars and dance dungeons, 50-cent coffee burning holes in your stomach, that credit card that didn't go through, running late in a cab to a job interview, free at the Met, free museum Fridays, free commuting by walking, freelancers, that new Freedom Tower, question mark, summer stages heard by any park goer, Join the Chabad just for Friday night dinner. Join OkCupid just for any dinner. Join Tinder just for sex. And if we're lucky, maybe a drink. Broken New York City. Views from above, ants below. Rooftop parties invited by pompous men. That cannot tell who you are then, because that pink lipstick does contradict your bank account and summary tickets, charity wages, and exchanges for a philanthropic soul. But there is no limo, and you're walking home, and you're waking alone. Independence on your side. You have no ego. Your spirit is alive because you're broke in New York City. Wonderful. Nice. <laughs> I can see why you were the poet laureate of Long Island. That's, that's yeah, some wonderful a, stuff there. I got a mm-hmm. nice future. I think... Um, we went on uh, the William Merritt Chase estate, who is a painter mm-hmm. from the late 1800s. He was one of the first painters that migrated out to Southampton for mm-hmm. the light and the beauty. And he was sort of a, um American uh, impressionist painter. And so they hosted this very nice TV on his estate. And I read a few of my poems. I don't think I had this one written yet, but it was mm-hmm. around that time. I don't quite remember. But so yeah, shortly after I wrote that, I I think I was in a yoga class. <laughs> nice, get some laughter. Sorry about that. 
um, yeah, I think I was in a yoga class and I suddenly was like massage. I could mm-hmm. do that. I had always been very physical. Um, growing up, we had a massage therapist that lived with us in our house. So, oh, okay. you know, they, mm-hmm. she taught me at age 10. I knew some, you know, point number four here, large, large intestine uh-huh. number four. And I was like, that'll get rid of my headaches. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when, you know, you talked before you read your piece about wanting to change the fabric yeah. of yourself or your life or at least of your income, so you could have done a lot of different things. Like you were teaching art. Yeah. You could have become a teacher. You could have become an accountant or a lawyer. Yeah. What was it specifically that made you think, oh, massage is, is yeah. a good idea for me? Yeah, another nice question. I also, I knew I liked, I knew I wanted to heal. There was something about healing myself that needed to happen. And I knew that something about me is that I like to help other people. And that was also a natural. Um, when I was also younger, you know, little baby Molly, I did, I did kind of massage. And people were mm-hmm. always like in high school, give me a massage, Molly, give me a massage. And uh, if anyone ever listens to that from high school, I think you'll remember that as well. <laughs> um, so then it was just this like epiphany moment where what can I do that could take everything that I have already been and done with my creative soul self and my love for working with people and what could be more natural um, that could come kind of naturally to me. And so that's what led me into the massage career. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to take a little break here and hear from our sponsors at Fitfo Products. This is no ordinary machine. This is the legendary Step Tread Climinator. Fitness for many gym rats and celebrity impersonators. From flabby to fit. This is no ordinary cardio. This is the world's most effective exercise. Fitfo Products Step Tread Climinator. I thought it was just a treadmill. Diesel motor and through-the-wall exhaust. This is no ordinary machine. This is medical science's most perfect invention. Step Tread Climinator. Featuring the greatest assembly of technology ever incorporated into a machine. Entertainment Center. I've been binging PrimeFlex for five hours. Hydration Balance Center. I haven't had to let go to take a drink, and the catheter's quite comfortable. Off switch hidden in start menu. Uh, yeah, yeah, could you pull the plug out of the wall, please? Please? Built-in AED. Yes, the interface shows he coded two and a half hours ago, but it hasn't interfered with his workout. Goal Outcome Achievement Programming Monitor. Please, please, I have to go to work. Let me off of here. People will miss me. A revolution in training for the evolution of the species. Step Tread Climinator. And we are back. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is the Physical Culture, Music, and Art Show. Vincent Mezzo, Dean of Discipline, Dean of Personal Training here with Molly Morgan Weiss, licensed massage therapist and artist. 
So thank you, <laughs> Molly. Being somebody who has you know a foot in the art world and a foot in the health industry, the allied health complementary medicine field, how do you find that your art background, or do you find that your art background influences what you do when you're giving a massage, how you approach massage, things like that, how you approach treating and helping patients? Yeah, interesting question. Uh, I, I mean, what I love about massage is that holistic approach to the person, how you could heal, help them, treat them, and very much like the experiential exhibits, the, the holistic approach to the exhibits, how you could have sound, visuals, touch, you know, smell all being apart. So that kind of came with me as I was going into the massage world. Um, some of the stuff that I've learned through anatomy, I mean, Swedish Institute teaches you so much anatomy. All the vocab vocabulary really informed a lot of my poetry. So I have a whole list of other poems that kind of became part borrowed or became influenced from what I was learning at Swedish mm -hmm. Institute. And they've, they find the rays once, you know, when you read once my poems of that, they'll come more out. The, you'll, you'll hear that how, how mm -hmm. the anatomy training, the shiatsu to the Eastern, mm -hmm. I mean, shiatsu is so, sort of poetic in its own way, the five element theory. So that just kind of naturally married each other from mm -hmm. shiatsu to the poetry. Um, I've always been very physical, too, in my work. I mean, I did a series of live performances where I, I I took some dancers and I took a group of musicians and I made a stage of canvas and some colors and the dancers would cover themselves with paint and they would sort of dance to the music and it was live, it was in the moment. It can never really be done again, except we have mm -hmm. these beautiful paintings of people's footprints and handprints and uh -huh. they're really pretty awesome paintings. And so the... I was always such a physical type of person, but I'm still kind of bringing that. I mean, that's how I get through my day at work and doing mm -hmm. the massages and all the clients. Um, so now I'm to be continued more of how I can extend that physicality um, into more uh, the, the performance type work that mm -hmm. I like the I guess you'd call them the dance performance paintings, how I could extend that into the newer work that I'll yet to create that I'm in the process of now. How did you find, I, I remember actually my father saying to me, he's an actor, but he was taking a class at the Art Students League on 59th Street, and they did a lot of anatomy. And the teacher mm -hmm. had said something about or something to the effect that well, you know, I some uh, students said, I draw what I see. And the teacher said, well, wait until you see what you draw. <laughs> so do you find that your anatomy training <clears throat> and actually knowing where the muscles are, where they attach, what the actual shape of the bones is, how that influences yeah. your uh, art? My, and my drawings of people have gotten 10 times better since I've become a massage therapist. That's a great that's a great question to point out. Mm -hmm. Even when I was drawing while I was in class at Swedish Institute, I could see, physically see, how much more detailed and precise my bodies were becoming, my faces were becoming. 
I still, because now I, I know where all the attachments and the insertions and all that. So it's definitely my, my people portraits and things have become like a million times better because of the Swedish Institute anatomy training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you find that, do you have trouble juggling these two things now? Do you find yeah. that they coexist well or that it's difficult to make okay. time for art when you have to spend an hour with each patient? Yeah, naturally that's, I feel it's going to be a juggle when you have to have a job and the art practice. And then, and until you can make the art practice maybe a full-time deal, it's going to be that way. But I juggled it before between teaching and gallery work and painting on the side. So I always, um, so, so I'm a little bit used to that juggle. You know, uh, at least it's massage and it's calming and it's sort of meditative as opposed to maybe accounting, which you said mm -hmm. before, that might, might be a, a little very bit more different, right? You're know, going left somebody. brain, right brain. Yeah, that's yeah. for somebody else. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean. What is your massage therapy website or how can people get in yeah. touch with you about massage? Well, that's another marriage between my two practices, the art studio, which is, you know, my studio, but then I just combined it with my healing studio which is my massage practice. And you could find me on Facebook just as My Healing Studio mm -hmm. or on Instagram, My Healing Studio. The idea that people could take it personally with them, that it's their own healing studio. They're with an artist in a studio where it's both a creative space and a healing space. So My Healing Studio. My Healing Studio. Yeah. Wonderful. Molly Morgan Weiss, www.mollymorganweiss.com. And we're going to take a little break to hear a PSA yeah. from Fitpo Products. And thank you thank very you, much, Vincent. Molly. Thank you, And New York. then we'll be back with Pooja Uberoy. And she's going to tell us, among other things, about her Bollywood dance classes. So here we are with an ode to laziness, a PSA from Fitpo Products. Asleep and flat-footed, I drool into my pillow. Supple, soft, the couch underneath me, the multicolored path of my subconscious taking me deeper. For these moments I ask to be left alone, I am to myself alone. For these moments I hide no more, deflect no more, I am free. Deep and drooling, I explore my subconscious, my inner world I explore. I believe the surreality that is here. I feel fit. I feel strong. I fly and here I am the Uberman. Here my calories are counted. My personal best recorded. Legend in my own mind. My past, my present, my future. If they are real in my head, they are real in my body. Painlessly. With great exertion, I shed the pounds, the adiposity, the would-be restrictions. I push up tons of weight. Kitchen and bathroom are mine. Bedroom and living room are mine. I am huge, muscular, more fit than I thought. I didn't know I could be such fitness. All seems real to me. Laziness. 
it's easier than the gym. And we are back with Pooja Oberoi. And Pooja Oberoi has a website, www.ikigaiusa.com. She is the founder and owner of the Artistic Dance Company and Ikigai USA, which operates in the USA and India. She is the producer for New York City Dance Week and founder of Fun Car, a New York City 10 initiative. She has more than 13 years of experience as a dancer and teacher, including teaching Bollywood dance classes at the New York School of Dance. Welcome, Pooja. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. So first off, can you tell us Ikigai is a Japanese word. How did that become the name of your business? What what does that mean? So um, the name Ikigai came about when I was living in India. And uh, there was this uh, period of a uh, few months where I didn't have a house in Mumbai, India. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing an apartment with one of my teachers. Uh, her name was Yuko and she was Japanese. And uh, while living with her, I saw the way she uh, lived, the way she ate, and how she just conducted herself. And then I started following um, the Japanese philosophy and started reading about it. And then I came across this word, ikigai, Mm -hmm. which means a state of being or uh, it means doing something that you love. So there are four words attached to it, which uh, which is passion, mission, vocation, and profession. Mm-hmm. So the reason I um, chose this name for my company was because I was doing something that I loved, which is the passion and uh, mission uh, being something that the world needs today, which is art and dance, because it makes mm-hmm. people happy. And vocation is something that you're good at uh, and profession because something that you can make money with, because at the end of the day, as artists, we still need to pay our bill, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to make money out of it. So Ikigai kind of combined everything that I believed in, and that's why the name Ikigai. That's wonderful. And that's a great philosophy. It's so right. great that there is a mm-hmm. word that represents all of those mm-hmm. four things. Right. How did you get into dance in the first place? I mean, I know you've been a teacher for a long time, but you must have been a student and been involved in dance for a very, how did that come about? I started at the age of uh, three. It was uh, my mother initially who uh, put me into dancing because she was an artist herself. She was a dancer and singer in school, but Mm -hmm. she did not uh, pursue it professionally. And she introduced me to dancing and she would call a teacher home. But I was too young and I, you know, hated dancing initially Mm -hmm. and I did not dance up till 17. And it was again at 17 when I joined uh, college that I got back to dancing. And then I was heading the dance society in my college. And slowly, I didn't even realize how I got into it professionally. I joined a dance school in India, which was the first uh, and the only uh, jazz school uh, at that Uh time. So you grew up in India, but then you were studying more American Exactly. It was it was dance. funny. It was opposite. Uh-huh. I never, in fact, uh, took to Indian dance as much as I took to Bolly, uh, jazz and ballet. And mm-hmm. Bollywood only came about much later in U.S. when I saw the how people here love Bollywood because it is so different. And uh, mm-hmm. that's when mm-hmm. I started uh, teaching Bollywood uh, two years back here uh, in New York. Mm-hmm. And so since you grew up in India, in Mumbai? I grew up in Delhi and then I in moved Delhi. to Mumbai for work. Uh-huh. So how integrated with 
the society. I mean, we were talking about this ikigai word, and clearly in Japan there's this integration of the physicality, the spiritualness, the art, all of these things. How much of that did you have growing up? So I no, I wouldn't say I was uh, as spiritual while I was mm-hmm. uh, growing up. It was only much later. I would say about four years back when I got introduced to yoga, and in fact, I then went on to complete my yoga teacher training, and I lived mm-hmm. in a, a dance village in uh, Bangalore for six weeks. And you know, we used to do twelve hours of yoga. We used to eat vegetarian and just live that whole life. And that's when I got. Uh, closer to spirituality, but while growing mm-hmm. up, my uh, thanks to my parents, they were uh, very, very open compared to how the Indian society is. Uh-huh. And I started dancing at a point when there was no YouTube, so it was really difficult for me to even explain to people what mm-hmm. I am going to be doing. But because of their openness and their views, I was exposed to uh, the Western culture uh, and jazz and ballet more than the Indian culture at that point. Uh huh. Uh huh. The, how did you make the transition then from jazz and ballet to fitness? When, when did this idea come to you and how did it come to you? That again happened only in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, I moved here two years back uh, when I got married. And uh-huh. there was, it was a very, very sudden plan. I had plans of living in Mumbai and going into the film industry in Bollywood and, mm-hmm. you know, making a mark there. And suddenly things changed overnight for me. And when I came here and that's when I realized uh, the fitness scene and how everything, like people people were crazy about fitness here, which is not so big in India yet. And uh-huh. that's when I decided to take my dance and art and make it a form of fitness for people because I realized it. People get really bored in gyms or doing a regular workout and dance is something that is really fun. And, you know, it because you're constantly trying to uh, challenge your brain by coordinating mm-hmm. your arms and your legs. And Absolutely. you don't realize how you end up burning. Like in my class, I've realized you end up burning 800 calories by just doing a fun wow. dance routine. Mm-hmm. So that's when I uh, thought of integrating fitness and dance uh, in New York City. Uh-huh. Do you... When you do your class, I come from a dance background, so I'm used to doing a warm-up, doing stuff across the floor, and then at the end you do a combination. And that's, you know, even though obviously in an exercise class there's a warm-up, there isn't always a combination at the end. So do you do your Bollywood class more like fitness class or more like a dance class? So I am teaching right now at various locations, uh, about five places, mm-hmm. and I am teaching kids too. So I try to variate my uh, class in every location. In uh, Midtown, for example, I have a, a fitness class where it's more focused on cardio. So I do a short warm up and then we do a high intensity uh, dance routine. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Hoboken, for example, it is more dance based. So then I start with the warm up, I'll do a pass and I'll really mm-hmm. go through the moves slowly and spend Especially with the kids, I try to do a warm-up and a pass and a routine because for Mm -hmm. them, it is more long-term and they are enrolled for longer periods of time for six weeks and seven weeks. And Mm -hmm. I really believe that they need to get the foundation of dance. Whatever style Mm -hmm. it is, for kids, it is very important to teach them that dance is not a crash course. You cannot learn it in uh, one class or two classes. So. That's why for them it's more foundation and grounding. Mm-hmm. The when you do a combination, especially with the kids, do you 
have a piece of choreography or a combination that you're adding to each week or is it a different combination at the end of each thing? So when I am doing uh, the fitness classes, the cardio mm-hmm. classes, then I do only one routine and then it changes every class. Mm-hmm. But uh, with kids and adults who enroll for uh, six weeks or mm-hmm. longer, the same uh, routine continues and we just mm-hmm. keep adding. adding like I too. try to do one or two mm-hmm. counts of eight every class. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's so important. I mean, there's right. all this, you know, there are a couple studies about older people and cognition and ballroom dancing and juggling and we focus so much as a fitness industry on cardio, and then we're starting to focus on the benefits of resistance training, especially in relation to aging, but the, the neurological training, and not just balancing on a BOSU and having it random, but really doing something that's structured and precise, like dance or like martial arts, right. just has such a benefit. So mm-hmm. it's really wonderful to see you combining that. Yeah, because I mean, I I don't know if uh, everybody is reading, but these days there are so many studies and uh, science has uh, been saying constantly that dance is the only activity which actually helps you fight depression and uh, dementia. Really? Because, like you mm-hmm. said uh, beautifully, that uh, neuro, you know, you use your uh, mind, you use your arms, you use your hands, and you have to coordinate everything. And dance is the only activity which is going to challenge you. And I try to make sure that uh, when my students leave, they actually know the routine and they are not just standing there and copying me because mm-hmm. then they're not challenging their brain, they're not challenging their muscles. Mm-hmm. And I still believe uh, in the, the traditional uh, dance training, uh, be it ballet, and mm-hmm. I still believe that you need to do it regularly and not changing your workouts every day. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Not just randomly right. changing things for the sake of, oh, I don't want to get bored, but really focusing on that foundation and those basics. Exactly. Which is, you know, with this physical culture, music and art show, that's really something that's so important as an artist is that you get the fundamentals. Exactly. You know, a musician always does scales. A ballet dancer always does bar work. Um, a martial artist always practices punches and kicks. There's certain foundation things that you really have to be good at and keep on practicing, and then you add the other stuff on right. top of it. I don't know a lot about traditional Indian dance, but I remember hearing that hand movements and eye movements have specific meanings and storytelling, and then how much of that moves over to Bollywood. I, I've i watched a number of Bollywood <laughs> movies and videos, and I love the music, but and I, I love Indian food, although I think the Indian food that I am most used to, I, I love spicy. Oh, that, wow. I do find it spicy, and that's why I like it. Nice. But so how much of that traditional Indian dance came into Bollywood, and then how much of that are you using in your classes and how? So just to draw a parallel, how mm-hmm. you would uh, do uh, ballet here for your training and foundation as a kid. And then once you've trained in ballet, you can go into contemporary jazz and whatever style of mm-hmm. dance. And I would say jazz and uh, hip hop, uh, pop is the popular dance style here. Same mm-hmm. way in India, a student like I was put at uh, the age of three into a Kathak uh, dance class, which is uh, the foundation because they focus a lot again on uh, feet and, you know, dancing from the roots and your mm-hmm. core and 
and uh, performance, which is the face uh, using the eyes and the hand gestures. And the popular form, same way in India, is Bollywood. So Bollywood comes from Indian dance, but it becomes funkier and it be- mm-hmm. it's like jazz or hip hop. And the music is really groovy, but you still use a lot of your face in uh, Indian dancing. Mm-hmm. And you use a lot of eyes. And in Indian dance, they uh, say there's something called Adha. Which mm-hmm. is like, if you have other, you're really pretty, beautiful, and you can express yourself through your uh, dance. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. drama involved uh, in Bollywood. Uh-huh. Yeah. And do you, are you able to bring that into your classes? Are you able to bring that cultural aspect and Ada and get people to really, do you try to get them to appreciate that side of it as well and not just get their sweat on. Sure. So that is again a uh, thing that I focus on. As soon as I start a song, I try to translate that for them uh, in English so mm-hmm. they understand the meaning because most of the songs are really uh, similar. Even in Bollywood, the songs are about love. It's about a guy. It's about a girl. So I try to tell them what they're talking and I try to tell them uh, how to express the same emotions. Once they understand the lyrics, it's very easy for them to uh, express themselves and connect with the music. I try to tell them always to try to make the song their own. It's like they are the singer and they are the dancer. Mm-hmm. So that helps them bring that story in their head instead of just mindlessly copying me as mm-hmm. a teacher. Mm-hmm. And in fact, my kids, I mean, they, they are so curious. They ask me and then I teach them the whole song. By the end of it, it's amazing how they're singing a few lines of the Indian song. And uh-huh. they finish the class with Namaste now. And uh, they're really, you know, taking to it uh, Beautifully. That's wonderful. And are the kids that are in the class, are they, they're all different nationalities or is there a large Indian population that's of kids that's it's, taking the class? Or? In Hoboken, it's 70-30. So there are 70, uh, 30% Indian only and the rest uh-huh. of them are not Indian. Uh-huh. So they're from all communities. And that's why uh, it's so much fun because uh, there's no judgment and they do whatever I tell them. And uh-huh. they're really curious. They want to know how to sing that song. They want to know the meaning. And uh, sometimes they surprise me. They do it so beautifully. Uh-huh. That's, that's really wonderful. I would like to get a chance to have you do a few, um, show us maybe a few movements here. I'm wondering... If I if we do a little Facebook Live, you could maybe show us some of the hand gestures. We do have a little music that we oh. can put on here. <laughs> oh, so um, your favorite music, Bollywood music? Yeah, we can do, you know, I have either Bollywood Top 50 or also we could do the Jan Pechem Ho, which is, you know, one of my favorite Bollywood songs. But it, it's up to you. Which one would you prefer? Yeah, you could just play anything. I'm just going to do maybe the tumka and a little bit of hands. Wonderful. And just so if you can, you know, talk us through that a bit, because it is live streaming radio. So we want to we want to hear it as well as, right. um, you know, be able to see for the people who are watching on Facebook. And I'll just put this on in the background oh actually this is um 
Ding Dong Oh Baby Sing. Can you hear that in your head? Oh, it's a really, really old song. Okay. Wow. You want something newer or is this no, okay? No. Do you want me to stand up? Yeah, you can stand up. Just try not to break the microphone. Yeah, but I... Uh-huh. Okay, and you're already getting hearts here on Facebook. <laughs> So you want to start with some hand movements? So I'm going to start with my uh, feet. Okay. We uh, do something which I uh, start the class with called dipping. So uh-huh. all we're doing is just moving our feet. Uh-huh. And so this is a coordination again. You're just putting one foot into the flow and you're lifting the other and hopping into it. It's called mm-hmm. the dipping. And then we try to change it and we do the other leg. Uh-huh. And the most popular step uh, in Bollywood movies is called the thumka. So uh-huh. you use a lot of your hip and then you just use the hip. Awesome. So that's called a thumka. Uh-huh. And this is the most popular. You can do it in different ways. You can turn the hip around. Uh-huh. And you can just push it out. Then there's a lot of hands which come from Indian dance, which uh-huh. I actually learned in my Kathak class. Uh-huh. So this is what I was talking about, the adha. Uh-huh. So that is the adha where you... All, act all coy and stuff uh-huh. so this That's song wonderful. is uh, yeah I think this does not have so much of another but this is like a fun song so mm-hmm. it's be more like a rock and roll uh-huh. now when you you were first doing the dipping yeah. and then you put your hands out with the palms up does that have a meaning is that a starting position Did no I... so I, I generally mm-hmm. try to so there's just a small difference. Like in jazz, you would keep your hands there. Mm-hmm. But in On Indian dance, I would keep my hands inside and do the dipping. Uh-huh. So that's a yeah, very uh-huh. small difference, but it makes a difference. So when you start in a jazz stance like that, mm-hmm. and the minute you do this, it becomes a little Indian. Uh-huh. So little things like that. Is there a difference in the choreography you use for men and women? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. And also, I because I trained in um, jazz, mm-hmm. so I draw a lot of parallels. I draw a lot of movements from there because from yes, also. I that helps in teaching them coordination. Like I will try to do hands and legs together, mm-hmm. and I will just change it to Indian. So at some point, mm-hmm. they want to coordinate their hands and legs, which is not easy. Mm-hmm. Because, Absolutely. But I tell, I try to tell them every time that dancing is like walking. So if okay. you. Thank you, Facebook. That's all you get. You've got to join us on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I always tell my students that dancing is like walking. And if you don't think about it too much, um, uh, you would know how to do it. Because as a child, we learn how to do our right, left. So every Mm -hmm. time in dancing, you move the right, left. It's naturally the left leg that comes uh, about. Mm -hmm. So if they just think... The dancing is as natural as walking. It's very easy for them to understand the choreography and mm-hmm. the movement. Absolutely. With with the kids' class especially, you know, children are the future. But <laughs> also, just in terms of fitness, mm-hmm. you know, older people really, you know, they, they've been polluted. Right. And what they think about fitness and all the things that have and haven't happened in this country in terms of fitness and health and diet, it's very hard to get older people to change. But the younger kids, they they can be molded more. Right. So I just for that reason, I'm very interested in the class that you're doing for young people, although clearly the people 
who are coming to your class who are older, mm -hmm. you know, they're already involved in exercise. So mm -hmm. that's wonderful. But getting back to the kids, do you do partnering with them? Do not they yet. do lift? Not yet. Is not that yet. something you see yourself doing? Yes, maybe I would say that would happen at a teenager phase where they're slightly mm -hmm. older because uh, the kids that I am teaching are 3 to 12 years old. Uh -huh. So the three-year-olds, they barely uh, move. They just mimic me. They just copy whatever I do. And uh, it's the 12-year-olds uh, who really are getting into the Indian. Uh, they understand the choreography. So maybe a couple of months into uh, dance, I will start partnering. Mm -hmm. Not yet. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That with small group personal training becoming a thing and CrossFit creating this community and when we do small group classes, getting people to partner has become such a big thing to create this sense of community. Right. So it's really great that you can integrate that into the classes so easily. So what I do for that is I try to do a, a couple class, which is a partner mm -hmm. class, which is in fact, uh, I know we were talking about the adults not being so open, but uh, it was one of the adult uh, students in my class mm -hmm. who suggested this because she was like, it's so difficult to get my husband to class. And so I had to actually do a couple class. And that uh -huh. is when all the husbands could come in and do a class together because I feel somewhere dance is still, even after so many years, seen as a ladies or a girls right. uh, thing and guys are still not so open about going to a dance class. And is that, you know, is that a cultural American macho thing? Or did you find that in, in India also? In India too. And in, mm -hmm. in India is bigger mm -hmm. because uh, India is more uh, patriarchal than uh, uh -huh. you know, America. Right, and right. Uh, in India, it was like the girl is just going to get married and she's going to sit at home and have babies. But the guy needs to run the home and uh, he cannot mm -hmm. be a dancer because artists are supposed to be poor and right and frivolous yeah and, and all those other things. exactly so it's even tougher for guys in india but uh -huh. i know the company that i was dancing in uh, i saw so many so many guys make the move it was so difficult for them they had to fight harder sometimes than a girl to become a dancer uh-huh Absolutely. It was it, it's it's sad, mm -hmm. but I know a couple of them. Like I have a, a friend right now, he's in America, he's doing a residency and you know, people have really, really fought and people have come over to America, they've gone to Europe, Israel to study mm -hmm. dance and mm -hmm. uh it is these are the people who are making the change now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In terms of your art and your fitness, how do you find that your have you done AFAA or one of these uh, aerobics instructor, group exercise instructor certifications? So, yes, when I uh, it was I'm just discovering all of this in the last two years. So mm -hmm. after I, I, I did my yoga course uh, right before I moved to uh, the U.S. And then I came here and then I heard about Zumba. I heard about it in India, but I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And they told me that uh, you can get a Zumba certification in one day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how's that possible? Because I had to say, uh -huh. spend six weeks of full days in uh, India for yoga. And then, so just out of curiosity, I did go and I did uh, do that certification. Mm -hmm. And I am a Zumba certified uh, instructor. But I, I don't I don't think that I can teach uh, Zumba because I don't think you can do justice and become an instructor by just doing a training for one day. You need right, to be... Right. 
you need to have more than that and yes i am still uh, i'm studying for afa afa uh, mm-hmm. for my certification for group fitness uh, mm-hmm. and for personal training right now wonderful wonderful so the the reason i asked is because there's this sort of very scientific scientific approach maybe not very scientific but there's this scientific approach to exercise and heart rate and how you create a class and then there's this artistic approach to how you do choreography and what the feeling is and the coyness and you know the attitude and what what was the word you used um ada ada yeah. right so there's this whole other aspect so how do you see and then there's also the art training that you've had and you know all this time that you've put in about foundations and things like that how do you feel that your art training influences you as a teacher as an exercise teacher now so uh, i i still uh, believe like i said in the traditional uh, training and i in my classes i focus more on the choreography on the story and all the on the different muscle uh, groups and i feel like uh, why i say traditional training because that focuses on individual muscles it focuses on length and uh-huh. sometimes i feel if you're just mindlessly doing a, even a dance cardio class with just jumping around it can injure your body because there's a lot of impact and pressure mm-hmm. on your back on your knees so uh and i feel like in new york especially there's a lot of fitness classes there is you know abundance of fitness and there is less of a focus on the artistic approach on mm-hmm. uh, even whether it's adults who are not going to become professional mm-hmm. uh, dancers i still try to tell them about the feeling because they say that you know however you are is the way you dance so i mm-hmm. try and then if you tell them that then that tries to get them in touch with their soul with their inner feeling and i in fact have adults coming back to me and telling me you know we want to do this song we want to do this choreography so they're living maybe they had these dreams and they could never dance mm-hmm. when they were younger but they are through my classes living that dream now right. and they're expressing that they want to dance like this dancer and they want to do this choreography even if it's tougher because mm-hmm. i'm trying to give them the belief that there is no age for dancing as long as you can connect with your soul connect with the music understand the right muscle without hurting yourself uh, you can dance any style any choreography that you uh, like mm-hmm. that's and that's such a wonderful thing and such a foundation principle of this show of physical culture is that exercise is self expression right so the fact that you can give them and then when molly was here we earlier we were talking about experience mm-hmm. so it's having that experience right. but also having that organic self expression through the art and through the dance and then also getting fit and getting a longer term benefit from it if you do it regularly is just really really wonderful so puja could you give us your website again and where people can find out about your classes yeah uh, it's www.ikigaiusa.com and uh, also in i want to do, share with everybody i'm doing this uh, amazing dance festival uh, called the new york city dance festival which happens uh, june uh 13 to 